0: Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skirtsha. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice, uh, developed and published by Ninja Theory for the PlayStation and Xbox, as well as the PC. Uh, we'll be probably talking about some spoilers, so heads up if you're sensitive to that. Uh, I don't know about you, Clint, but this has been on my radar for years, ever since it started winning all kinds of awards as an independently published game a few years back. Uh, just always intrigued me, and I'm glad I finally got a chance to play it, thanks to your uh, your urging.
1: Yeah, same. I don't know why I ignored this when it came out. Like, it was definitely on my radar. Lots of people were talking about it, but I just kind of, I don't know, maybe the backlog was too deep. I never got to it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I definitely find it interesting that
0: Ninja Theory is like a... Us- a dev that I associate with, you know, like character action games, like Enslaved Odyssey to the West and stuff like that. And this is definitely one that, um, you know, given that they published it themselves, they sort of termed it like triple I, Uh, you know, it's, it's obviously as high production values, but they, they published it themselves, just fully
1: in-house deal. Yeah. I didn't know how to characterize this one. It's definitely not triple A. You can definitely feel that it, it's got small studio feel and you can definitely feel. They run into uh, a lot of, I guess, barriers that larger studios wouldn't, and you can tell, but they do a good job of masking it. I'm kind of hoping that the sequel grows into a, you know, a more full-formed game. But yeah, it's definitely not an indie title either. Yeah, it is worth mentioning. There's a, a sequel on the horizon now that you, now that I
0: think about it, I'm, I'm glad I was able to play this before that came out, but. Uh, to your point, uh, I, I did a little bit of research, and I found out that this they had about 20 developers on, on this game by the end. So yeah, like you said, definitely not like gigantic studio, but um, it comes across. Like, it's a very pretty game. Obviously, the sound design, which I'm sure we'll talk about more, was really great. It had like full motion capture for Senua, the, the title character, who's played by Melina Juergens, uh, who is actually not an actor for actress
1: or voice actor
0: she just picked it up for this game
1: well (laughs) holy shit she did a good job she should probably consider that as a full time career I will say when you said 20 people I would have expected way more than that so I think scoping was the biggest problem it wasn't so much what they did they did very well Mm -hmm. Uh, but you could tell that they had to limit themselves into what they'd allow themselves to do so I hope they got a bigger team and, and get to flesh that out a little bit I guess yeah, well, I mean, whenever you as a
0: studio are sort of self-funding and putting a, a project on your back and sort of fully invested in its um, its success or failure, like, the ability to um, put the resources behind it is limited to what you actually have, right? Like, they're not able to get Sony's money or, you know, whoever they would normally partner with's money. That big publisher money is, is not involved in this one, so... Well, we'll be this time. Microsoft is picking up the tab now.
1: I'm pretty sure they're doing okay.
0: Yeah, that's true. I forgot Ninja Theory is picked up by Microsoft as well. Holy shit. Man, they picked yeah. up everyone. Um, but yep. no, you're, you're right. Now they've got that huge uh, platform backing. So that'll be really interesting to see what the, the future is here. For sure. Um, so I guess it's worth mentioning what this game actually is. Um you know, Senua's Sacrifice sort of is, it's sort of a few different things to my mind. It sort of blends some hack and slash combat, some puzzle solving, and a gigantic heaping spoonful of psychological horror into um, an experience that, I don't know, like, it's kind of like nothing else I've, I've played. I, it's actually, I guess it's like three different things I've played, but I've never seen it all in one package.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I had no idea what to expect when I started playing this game either, which was kind of cool, like, with as much as you and I follow video game news I literally can't believe that I waited five years to play it and I had no idea what was going on the only thing I knew that might be a topic was going to be mental health Um, and and that was it so I wasn't even remotely prepared for a game that had horror elements but you start this game out like wondering or floating down a sea of bodies I'm like holy shit what am I getting myself into (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's definitely,
0: it doesn't shy away from the horror aspect at all. And I guess maybe we can set up the story, but um, you play as Senua, who is a sort of Celtic warrior. She's a Pict, I guess, uh, if we're looking for historical accuracy here. And they were people that lived in the Orkney Islands. So you could see her like, you know, blue war paints, just like Braveheart and things like that. And um, yeah, so the game opens with her sailing down uh, the river to Hell, H-E-L, Hell, the sort of Norse depiction
1: of the afterlife. Yeah, and I'll just throw this up here now. Like, you can hear the voices in her head. This was actually one of my favorite parts of the game, and I loved how they did it. Um, I know we'll talk about it more, so I won't go too far in, but there's always, like, an inner monologue going on, and she's just got voices in her head that are always just, like, badgering her. Like, you can't go there. No, you definitely have to go. Like, they're, like, constantly fighting with each other, and then she's just trying to move through, but... Uh.
0: Yeah, and and that's the, part of the reason like they did this self-funding thing because obviously, you know, this is a thing that maybe a publisher would, would not go for or they'd be forced to tone down. But yeah, Senua suffers from extreme mental illness, psychosis, I, I believe is sort of the medical term. And they really like lean into this. Like they got um, a professor of um, psychology and, uh, and such to like fully... You know, to check them on, on what they're portraying in the game, so they they didn't like any take any half measures with making sure that they were, you know, I guess trying to be respectful and give the player like an an honest read on what being you know the protagonist who has a mental illness would would actually be going through.
1: Yeah, I was surprised they were the first person. Credited in the game. Um, they were at the very top. But the, the whole thing was you were talking about the plot, and after having played the entire game, I have no idea what was actually going on because this could have easily <laughs> just been some shit she was imagining in her mind. Like, I, I really don't know. So that'll be interesting to see. Like, I don't know what your take was on that, but I just, I was never sure that what she was saying had anything to do with reality whatsoever.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing, is they sort of, like, blend what she's experiencing, or what her mind is making her think she's experiencing with with reality. Like, there's sort of an unreliable narrator thing going on here. But my take on it is, so she is sailing down to to hell to rescue her beloved Dillian. Uh, By the way, terrible name, Dillian. Like, I don't know, (laughs) I just keep thinking Dillweed whenever I say him. (laughs) (laughs) But at any rate, um, you know, he was... Uh, killed and she's like carrying his head to go like save his soul um and i i kind of like you pick up the story in really like disjointed and piecemeal fashions throughout the entirety of the game but you find out that you know at some point she was traumatized really badly dillian was killed maybe by raiders or something like that and now um you know she's
1: trying to go and, and save his soul Peppered throughout is a bunch of norse mythology and um I don't want to call them Norse gods, but I guess some of them were at least deities of some kind. And again, I'm not entirely sure that any of that was actually happening, or if she's just on a journey and she's just imagining shit because she's deeply wounded. Like, I don't, I I wasn't really sure what, what was going on. Yeah, and I guess it's probably worth,
0: like, just putting a general disclaimer out here. Neither of us know anything about psychosis. Neither of us suffer from that type of mental illness, so... We have our own mental illnesses, (laughs) as everyone does. But, um, yeah, um, so we'll just put a a blanket disclaimer here, you know, in in case we're saying something out of turn. We're not experts on this stuff. However, um, you're absolutely right, Clint. it's, It's hard to tell exactly, like, what's real, what's not in this game. And I think all we can do is take it at face value with what's on the page, right? You know, you are meeting deities or gods. This is clearly, like, not meant to be super... This is a supernatural tale. It's it's basically a fairy tale, right?
1: Yeah. I was half expecting at the end to find out, like, this was just, like, completely imagined. But <laughs> but but, the, but they never told you either way. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering which direction they go with it in the sequel. Like, do they go more towards uh, realism? Or do they just go complete off the deep end? Is this going to be like God of War almost kind of thing?
0: Well, I think g- given how the... The game ended my take on on the entire story is you come out of it um and it's not so much that you accomplish your mission and that you save dillian and you go off and live happily ever after the the accomplishment at the end of this game was basically send you a learning to live with the voices in her head the furies as they're called um who and her own sort of psychoses and and issues that she's dealing with from her past traumas, basically accepting that and moving forward. And now she's going to be telling her own tale. So I'm interested to see where the the sequel takes that. But um, the journey to to getting to that point is what we're
1: talking about today, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it it was like a good like coming to terms with oneself is, is, is like the biggest struggle. And if you can do that, you can accomplish anything kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think, and honestly, I think that's where some of the messaging gets a little muddled for me, right? Because this is, this is a story that's meant to portray the struggles of someone who's suffering from a severe mental illness. But at the end of the day, um, it, I I guess it's, it's nice that it's sort of saying, hey, you can learn to live with this. But, you know, some sometimes you can't, right? Like, sometimes people don't get over their mental illnesses. um, And, you know, it's really tough for them. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure what it's trying to
1: say with regards to that. This is a hard subject to, to even talk about. Like, obviously, she didn't get better. Right. As as most of these people don't get better, but you just learn, like, these are my boundaries. This is me. I don't have to change me. I just have to know that I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And this is me. Like, that's it. Yeah, and and I guess one thing
0: about that is... what. What it does show is that some of the main things that sort of caused her all of the the pain and suffering that she had was the pain she was put through by her tribe, right? Like her father who abused her and treated her as different and stigmatized her because of these voices in her head and, you know, basically blamed her and her psychoses on all of the problems that happened to to them and their people. And I think maybe that's what the game is trying to say is that, hey, you know, the more we stigmatize people with issues like this, the worse off things are going to be.
1: And she refused help too, because she felt like she couldn't be around anyone because she didn't want her problem to become everyone else's problems when clearly she just needed to accept herself and then let other people accept her too, which is, I know, I know that has to be part of the sequel. Cause if, if you look at any of the the previews, she's with her, she's with a tribe now. I don't know who she's back with, but she's clearly surrounded herself with other people. So,
0: yeah, well, that's good. And like, I think that like that is a follow on to what happened in the story of this game is, is a good i guess next step you know see how she actually utilizes her her power for good i do think it's it's interesting that they sort of frame the voices in her head as as somewhat of like a mechanical advantage from her right so if we're talking about like one of the things you do in this game is um combat and you are able to hear um enemies coming up behind you and your voices in your head will actually tell you hey look out he's behind you and and stuff like that which is Another sort of interesting thing this game's doing with like psychosis, uh, treating it as like a power was a very interesting choice, but it definitely worked really well with the, the combat and the mechanics at hand.
1: I loved how they used, honestly, the voices are my favorite part of the game. Uh, just how they chose to use them. So, this game, and I know we're going to talk about this too, but this is not super forward thinking today, but this game came out five years ago. The No HUD. Low HUD, no HUD. This game had no HUD whatsoever, Um, and there were no quest markers. There were nothing. The only way that anything ever indicated anything to you was through this inner monologue that was constantly going on in your head. And it wasn't weird for them to say things about like, "Oh my God, look out over there," because they're always chattering about something. So it's not like you felt like, "Oh, that's the game trying to tell me something." It just kind of like naturally blended in.
0: Yeah, and maybe we should talk a little bit about um, that, uh, just sort of the minimalism of this game and and how it, I guess, and also the sound design, because you're absolutely right that the the game, one, it communicates a lot to you through its visuals. Obviously, they're really pretty, and they could also be deeply upsetting at times. (laughs) Uh,
1: There's almost always, like, decapitated corpses hanging around or things, people on fire, and, yeah, it's... Lots of of terrible stuff. surprised you said pretty. Usually it's just horrifying there's
0: there's some beautiful vistas in this game like when you're when there are the sunny parts it it is really well designed well drawn out and well sort of staged it's it's got a a great style like the, the graphics in the game do and the visuals um but to your point about the voices the way that they get them to sound uh you know totally 360 around you like that uses a technology called binaural audio which is actually, <laughs> it's uh, they use these crazy microphones that have sort of two ear holes, and they are able to sort of make it sound fully 3D around you. I don't know if you've ever listened to something called like the Virtual Haircut or something uh, on a... Uh a pair of headphones. But that is sort of the first example of binaural audio that I remember ever hearing. Um, It's probably still on YouTube somewhere, but basically what it does is it simulates a guy sort of giving you a haircut and you could hear him cutting around the, the back of your head and the sides and then up in front. Now, as I begin the clipping, and I bring the clippers closer to your ear. Very close to the right ear. Follow me as I move around the back of the head
1: to the left ear and up and over
0: the top of the head okay this game uses binaural audio in a a way that i've never seen any other game do it um the voices really do sound like they're all around you behind you in front of you everywhere
1: yeah and I, i will say um i played this on computer and i played with headphones on and to anyone that is looking to play this please play it with headphones or if you have surround sound play it on surround sound if you have if you have the option that's the best way to 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 experience this
0: game for sure. Totally, don't play with your just your computer speakers or like a sound bar. Uh, you need to either have, as you said, um, a good pair of headphones or surround sound. I, I chose the headphones route too. I use the same headphones I'm using to do this recording, and it worked great. Um, and boy, it really just adds to the experience. Um, they there's a really great like little feature featurette that they put in the game too that sort of shows you like hey here's why we made this game here's how we made this game and they do they have a, a little video showing like how they did the binaural audio and you can see the little microphone setup with the two ears and like they actually hired actors and actresses to like run around the microphones and like yeah. set that like literally it 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 sounds exactly like how it looks like there's just people like sort of rushing past the microphone whispering something into it saying hey don't go over there turn back and it's like it's really affecting and it works really well and seeing that video of how they did it it's exactly how it sounds so it's really a fascinating process
1: yeah that was i think there were several things that were strong about this game audio design was the strongest. It's some of the strongest I've ever seen in any video game, and that's saying a lot because I play too many of them. So (laughs) this, Especially for a studio with 20 people, they clearly really honed in on the sound and they nailed it. So that was really cool. The sound design in this game
0: absolutely was top-notch. But we should talk about, you know, we're talking a lot about how the game presents to you and tells its story, but maybe we should hone in a bit on what you're actually doing in this game. I know we've mentioned combat, um, we mentioned horror aspects, but what we haven't mentioned yet um, are some of the mechanics the in the game, the puzzles, yeah. So this, I think, you know, by volume, I think this is what you spend most of your time doing. And it was absolutely my least favorite part of the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think this is kind of what I was hinting at earlier when I was talking about scope, right? So if it had been a new kind of puzzle every time, would have been totally fine with that. But they, re- you could really tell... The limitations of a, of a studio this size and they kept having these puzzles where you'd have to like find runes out in the world and it's just like okay you're just doing the same three things all over again to, to open a gate it, it kind of took you away from like the immediacy and, and, and the urgency of the story to just go do the same stupid puzzle a hundred times.
0: I, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I will be the first to say I didn't enjoy the rune finding puzzles, but you know, the, the puzzles come in basically like three or four flavors. There's rune finding ones. There's perspective gates where like things change when you look through a certain gate, there's sort of line up the pieces puzzles where you, if you look at something from a certain angle, they snap into place. Um, and yeah, like to your point about the rune finding ones that, it absolutely ruined the pacing for me. Uh, unfortunately, it's like a quarter of the game. and
1: It ruined it for you? It, <laughs> it
0: did. It totally ruined it, man. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because it's asking you to find these specific shapes in the environment. And you, are, you do absolutely have to find the specific one they're looking for in the exact place they want you to look for it. But it turns out that shapes appear arbitrarily pretty much everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, they're just sort of They're trying to ask you to find the arbitrary one, even if you find a very similarly or exactly similarly shaped shape elsewhere. Um, this to me was just like a weakness of this this type of puzzle, and you're you're absolutely right that I think it would have worked better if they did it less frequently.
1: Yeah, there were, you're right. There's like three main main things, and by the way, this particular puzzle, which came up entirely too often, was the thing that made me think the most that this was all in her head, because the only thing keeping her from going through these gates was her imagining something out in the world, and then all of a sudden it's it's unlocked to her. Like that's. That's kind of like one of the the cues I thought was pointing in that direction, but but yeah, I, I think with a larger studio, I'm assuming the variation of puzzles will be better. It would have been I would have been fine with puzzles had it come up once or even twice, but it came up just too often.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting because there were like there were some where this was legitimately cool, and I think the first time I did it, I was like, oh, that's that's kind of neat. You have to use the environment. It reminded me a bit of The Witness. I don't know if you played The Witness, but there's these puzzles where you sort of need to like you start to see the puzzles in the environment and it turns out you spoilers for the witness, but you can interact with them in the same way outside of the framing of the puzzle. Um, and that's sort of how this game works too. Um, you know, as you said, Clint, it's sort of just magical thinking that's keeping Senua from moving forward. And, you know, I guess it's up to us to draw the line, how real that magic was. I'm, I'm choosing to believe that this is a world where gods and runes and things like that exist. And Senua's was only crazy in that she has voices in her head. Um, but <laughs> you know, as you said, it, it, the, when the game starts to delve into mental illness, you know everything's off the t- on on and off the table simultaneously. You never know where the the line is drawn.
1: It's Schrödinger's table. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think this will be fine in, in in the next game. So not worried about it. And, and to be honest, I know. I was frustrated by it too, but the rest of the game was so good that I still think the juice was worth the squeeze here. Like, I was like, okay, it's annoying, I gotta go find these things, but it'll get me to the next part, and I'm super excited to see what happens around the next corner, so I'd always keep going.
0: Yeah, the, the story is, like, disjointed and, and odd as it is, it, it does still pull you forward, and the game is trying to do such an interesting thing by telling the story about a, a protagonist with mental illness, and, um, you know, doing such interesting things with its sound and its design and its graphics, and uh, it, it kept me moving forward. Um, to be sure, it's so rare to see like a game do a decent job of portraying mental illness. Media in general generally does a pretty shitty job with this, so it was, as you said, worth the squeeze for me.
1: Yeah, and I will say variation wasn't a problem in everything. So there were a couple parts where it's almost like you get to a certain point, and then it's like a choose-your-own path. There's at one point you can go down two different paths, very different. Like one is very um, aggressive and fire-based. The other one's all like less aggressive and and more like uh, psychological puzzles. And then you get to this other part later, where you get to branch off five different ways. And I was worried that every time I went into one of those trials, it would be like the other ones. No, they were all very different. There's like one that's very horror based, and there's one that's like run and hide. And then there's one that's like, you need to be aggressive and fight something. And this one's you got to solve a puzzle. And they didn't do any kind of repetition within those at all. So I feel like some of the puzzles were filler, but, The bespoke moments were very well done and made you almost forget about the other pieces once you got to them.
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, sort of the two main, I guess what you'd call hubs of the game, right? There's the first one where you're trying to get into Hell's Domain and you get to either go to Valravin's Keep or Surt's Domain. Um, Surt, um, he is, you know, it's either the Illusion Master Valravn or the Fire Giant Surt. And... (laughs) I could tell these both were developed pretty early, and that um, I thought this was what the game was going to be like. And and I'll be honest, like these two were these two levels were so different than the rest of the game that I almost like found it a little um, a little bewildering. Like I really liked this this format, right? Go into uh, a god's domain, learn how to. Um, circumnavigate their, their tricks and things like that like for Robin, you're using these gates that change the environment and dispel illusions for Surt you're finding sacrifice pits and returning through the flames and then you fight them as bosses and I was like oh cool well we're probably just going to do a few more of these and, and that'll be the game once we get into hell not the case these are the only two bosses you fight until pretty much the end of the game so
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that, that was a little bait and switch there um yeah and you're probably right that was probably done early and they're probably like have this like massive scope and they're like we're 20 people we can't do that so they changed <laughs> things up a little bit i guess yeah and uh, it's funny though because they're, they do a lot of really interesting things
0: in these first two sections the Robin one specifically to me like this had to have been, like, the vertical slice they were showing off of the game at, like, E3 and stuff like that. Because it's great. Like, the, the way that they do those illusion challenges, the rune thing kind of, like, goes well with the sort of thoughts of illusion and magical thinking. And there's these really nice little touches where, like, Valravn is sort of taunting you as you go through his domain. And then there's one section where you break line of sight with him and he turns into a, sta- a scarecrow. And it was awesome. Like, I, I think that, that was, like, the game's sort of like both creepy puzzle and combat sort of all coming together in a really good way and we haven't even talked about the combat yet so maybe we maybe we should
1: yeah i will say uh the combat suffered from the same thing that the puzzles did in that there wasn't a ton of variation but holy shit did they manage to keep it tense yeah so like while there wasn't an extreme variation, they never pulled back enough for you to feel like... You never had a minute to be bored with it because it was always pushing you.
0: Yeah, it, it feels really impactful, too. You know, it, it's a fairly simple combat system. You know, you have your blocks, dodges. You can do a strong attack or a quick attack. You can kick to, you know, just get shields out of the way. But to your point, like, when you get hit in this game, you really feel it, and, like... um, When Senua's down and, like, she's about to die and she gets, like, one last chance to get up, like, it is very intense. Um, This game does a great job sort of, like, communicating the stakes of combat to you.
1: And it was super punchy, too. Like, some games, like, combat feels weak. Like, you could feel it, like, that gritty punchiness to the combat. But one of the things, I don't know if you noticed it, but if you look in in the... uh Difficulty settings. I don't know if you ever looked at that. It's adaptive, yeah. And and I think they do a very good job of of writing this line where they like don't push you so hard that you can fail or or that you will fail every time, but they also just try to keep it that line where it's always tense. You never, no matter how good you are, it's just gonna like tweak it to just yeah. keep it a challenge, which which I think played off very well. Yeah, and they were able
0: to do this because, as you mentioned, Clint, no heads up display, no UI. There's no health bar. Um, y- right. You kind of just get to see Senua getting more and more bloody. I guess is is the best way to put it. And to that effect, there's also yeah. a, a death mechanic that affects her appearance as well.
1: Sort of. <laughs> but before, but before we get to that, I will say you can see the same things w- with the enemies. Uh, no health bars there either. But you can see them becoming ragged. Like they don't move like they used to. They'll be clutching their side. Like that was the visual cues very strong again. For a game today, we just had Ghost of Tsushima a couple years ago that pushed really hard in this direction. Yeah. But this game was several years ago. Like I feel like they were one of the ones one of the brave first people in this in this industry to be like, we're not doing any HUD. Yeah. I mean not not minimal HUD, we're doing nothing. Yeah. So
0: You don't need the the player to see all the numbers around everything. You don't want them to see like, you know, the Senua does five damage when she does a strong attack and three when she does a quick attack. You know, it's just literally just show them
1: don't tell them <laughs> right which could be frustrating we both had frustrating moments yeah, especially with the puzzles because they don't they use the voices to try to like cue you mm. but they don't overdo it and if you missed a cue from the voice as well they're not going to hold your hand and you're probably going to end up looking it up but
0: yeah and you know me being um i'm more of a visual person than an an audio person, I guess. Uh, let's put it this way. Whenever I watch a TV show, I have subtitles on. So when I was playing this game, you better believe I had subtitles on, um, so that I could both, you know, if I missed something or didn't hear it the first time, I could glance down quickly and read it. And to your point, Clint, like sometimes you do still miss stuff because either you cut off the the voices in your head or move to a new area and they didn't say what they needed to say. And it's sort of like an imperfect way to deliver information, even if it is really unique and, um, you know, innovative. So, you know, give and take with that.
1: Yeah, it's hard to know when to listen to them too, because they're constantly <laughs> jabbering. It's not like they're, you walk into a new area and they're like, you should go check out the red door. Yeah. They're like constantly <laughs> like telling her she's not good enough. Like, no, you can do it. Like they're like constantly fighting with each other in in your head. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it's easy to miss things because they just never stop. But you were talking about the death mechanic. This was a farce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it sure as hell put the fear of God in you at the beginning of the game. Yeah.
0: Well, I, and this was interesting because I remember this game got a lot of heat when it came out for this. Like, basically, they tell you, like, "There." this is one of the few times the UI does pop up and says, you know, Senua will, over time, if you continue to die, have this rot. And if it reaches her head, the seat of her soul, your save progress will be deleted. And they use, like, that word. They're like your game file will be deleted. They're they're basically like saying, hey, you know, we are... This is serious. This is basically a roguelike now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they they basically... They flat out tell you, you will lose your progress. And I can tell you, because I immediately looked it up, because I'm like, is this game a roguelike? (laughs) Had I not looked it up, I would not have known that, no, this is not. This is just another way that they're messing with you and making you... They're like fucking with your head as you're a person who's has their own fears like this in their head like yep. I don't they're afraid of failure she's very afraid of failure and they made you the player very afraid of failure with her which was a very interesting way of doing things
0: Yeah I I like this as like a bluff um I think the use of like having it as a message from the developers like basically you know there's very few things you can treat as canon in a game and like if a window pops up and tells you something about the game and its mechanics like you're supposed to
1: believe that. <laughs> it's and and to, and to our point earlier, it's literally the only mechanic they're ever explicit about yeah. in the <laughs> entire game. Yeah,
0: and and to your point, like this is a game that, as we said, is sort of playing with that line of like, hey, what's real? What's not? What are you imagining? And um, I guess you know, I like sanity mechanics in games. It's a fraught thing, but you know, I'm I'm a fan of. Um, what's that GameCube game, Eternal Darkness, that did sanity effects really well. And, you know, th- this sort of reminds me of that a lot. And I understand why it got heat when it came out, because it is like a big bait and switch. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I'm i glad they did it. I think it, it was interesting. And it did, like you say, raise the stakes, which I think is most of what this game's choices are in service of. Raise the stakes. Make the player get involved. Put them in this person's shoes.
1: Yeah, I thought it was... Uh... A cool choice. I was pissed when it happened, but it it did. It definitely put you in the time and place, and, and they gave you the feelings. This game's about making a feeling. It's a feeling of dread, um, f- fear of failure. But uh, I also like kind of knew that it couldn't possibly be a roguelike because <laughs> roguelikes are never this bespoke, right, right? Right, right. It it's this was very tailored. Like if you had to go back and play that whole game again, you're just doing the same thing. St- It's too story-based. Like, I just knew there's no way that was going to work. It's kind of why it threw me for a loop. So, like, deep down, you know it's not. But still, it's, like, always lingering there and, like, messing with you. So that was kind of, again, annoying but cool. You're absolutely right. Like, if, you
0: know, using context clues and, like, what we know about games and structure, it would have made absolutely no sense to delete the player's save file and force them to play the game all over again. Like... if if that were true i'd have just put the game down and walked away there's no way like at the final boss you know if you hit your limit or whatnot that i'm going to go back and play this admittedly short maybe like seven ish hour game all over again that's still seven hours too much
1: (laughs) yeah and with no variation there's just yeah
0: yeah that that's the reason roguelike's roguelike's work is because of that proc gen randomness and you know things like that I know we already talked about a couple areas. We talked about uh, Valrovin's Keep and uh, Search Domain with all of the fire, um, but we haven't really talked about some of the, the later areas. Um, any any that stick out to you that you wanted to make sure we hit on, Clint?
1: Yes. Uh, when you first get through hell, or across the bridge, I should say, you end up in the... I don't even know what you call it, but it's it's where you experience your time with the darkness, or whatever that creature is called. Oh, uh, the
0: shipwreck? Are you talking about the shipwreck shore?
1: No, past that you get in.
0: Oh, in the, the, the tri- beast. Oh yeah. So, um, in one of the four trials of Odin, you're talking about the um the
1: labyrinth where you're. No, pat past that. Once you're past all that, and uh, I'm trying to think of what it was called. Oh, the you 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 actually get face-to-face with this beast, which you'll find out is not really a real thing. Most likely, it's you and your doubt from your father because it's your father's voice, right. that, that that beast, which, holy shit, the voice actor they got for him, if that's actually his voice, that dude is terrifying. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping to God that they just put him in a uh, uh, like a filter and knocked him down eight octaves because every time his voice came on, that was just like... Ugh. There is no one here but me. Not you. Did you think that I would let you go? That you lost me back in the wilds?
0: Yeah, no, it, it, this is really good. And you're, you're talking about, like, once you're past the Trials of Odin and you get to Helheim. And you're yes. pursued by, they call him Fafnir once or twice. Um, but yeah, he's Do they? He's basically a, a beast. Uh, sort of a dragon-looking thing. And, And yeah, you're absolutely right. He's basically a personification. I guess this is another one of those parts where the game is sort of drawing the line between like, is this actually a fairy tale? Or is this Senua imagining, you know, her abusive father from her past as a literal dragon she has to overcome? And it just, it works pretty well because regardless of the read you have on it, it works for the situation. Either it's the beast that's guarding hell and her lover's soul, or it's her overcoming her issues with her dad and learning to accept herself. You know, it's sort of a parallel read on a similar sort of overcoming of a a great beast.
1: Yeah, and the way this plays out is you go into, I guess, what I could describe as a darker dungeon kind of area, and it's all about light and dark. If you're in the dark, the beast is out to get you. And you don't know from which way it might pounce. But holy shit, you better get to that next light fast or he will get you. Yeah. And, like, it's just constant, like... And you're doing the same stupid puzzles. Again, you're, you're looking for runes. <laughs> you're looking for this. But you, that's just, like, the key to the next area. The interesting part is just, like, the feeling of dread and constant, like, being uh, hunted. And And, oh, my God. Like, you get through this terrifying area only to get knocked down again and like you you lose dillian's head and it just falls deeper down the pit like you felt like it took everything you had to get to that get to this one point and then it just like nope you've got to go way further down that hole and you're just like i don't even know if i can do it yeah can i even
0: yeah it's like sand through your fingers and you just realize that this is like the nadir of of the game in terms of like how senua is feeling like she is definitely like oh man i'm i'm really in for it now and you know her deciding to continue on is is really good and you're right that that fafnir scene did really work for me like i think you know the beast is really scary you do get a really titanic fight with it for your third and final boss of the game that you fight pretty much um it's so funny that they did that boss thing and then immediately decided to like throw it out and only did it again at the very end. But yeah. Uh, and I, I, another just random thing that I need to hit on is they also have these balance beam puzzles or balance beam sections that they just sort of randomly pepper in. I don't even know if you remember that, but it's just so so funny that they just sort of, they have this bag of like seven tricks and they are just sort of pulling them out when they feel like they need to like slow down the action for a bit so you're not getting too much story all at once. Um which is the same cuz you know I honestly think this game would have been fine as like a walking simulator
1: with some combat sequences. <laughs> um yeah, you can tell they definitely tried several things, but I again, what they focused in on was super good. Yeah. I yeah. really want to see this with like with with a chance to get a bigger scope on it because the story was amazing. The yeah. sound design was amazing. I was constantly engaged. We didn't even talk about the guy Uh, so the guy that does the, uh, um, Ruth,
0: the, uh, the sort of slave slash narrator who's helping you navigate all of the, uh, the, the afterlife. Basically, he is a former slave of the Norsemen who learned their legends and is guiding Senua throughout the whole thing.
1: Yeah. It's like her history. Like you don't live her whole life, so you don't know why she knows what she knows. So the way they portray that to you is her remembering the Stories that he told her, yeah, and he is like the historian of the game and explains everything, kind of like Mimir is in uh, God of War, very, very Mimir so, so vibes, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like why do you know this? But uh, he was so engaging and interesting, like his voice acting was crazy good, yes, his name
0: uh, is Nicholas Bolton, by the way, the voice actor for that, and yeah, he's fantastic. He, the scene that he did at the end where he's describing Ragnarok, like literally, like, chills. He he was so, like, passionate and into it. Like, it was awesome. And um, I think, he you know, he he really, like, serves as a good sort of go-between between the player and Senua because obviously you don't get her whole backstory. That's part of what the game is doing is doling it out to you as you go. So he's there to sort of act as a guide um, and contextualize things.
1: He's, as you said, an excellent addition. Yeah, this probably only had a cast of what maybe five or six people. Yeah. Th- but e- yeah, every last one of them was just stellar. They each could have won an award for, <laughs> for, for, for their performance in this game. It was so good.
0: Yeah. And interestingly, like they used, um, you know, they used, uh, Nick, Nicholas Bolton, Druth, and, uh, Senua, Melina Jürgen's actual appearances, and they did FMV sequences at times in the game. I don't know if you noticed that, but, like, they would at some points overlay the actual action on the screen with FMV, which I haven't seen FMV used since, like, 90s adventure games. Um, but it worked. Like, weirdly, like, sort of how they melded the on-screen graphical motion capture version of these people with their FMV actual filmed counterparts, like, really works, and it, see, it serves to like really highlight the emotion and the, the story that's being told on the screen.
1: Yeah, it all played out very well. Again, there were so few misses in this game that I think that's what made them even stand out more. Like because it was so excellent, the parts that didn't hit, Just stood out like a sore thumb, just because everything else was so great around it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Is like they they hit such high highs with like what they were actually setting out to accomplish that this game almost feels hamstrung by the fact that oh we need to like make this at least a seven to eight hour video game. So how do we pad it out? And you know those puzzles and the things that, as you said, like added the friction to this that we didn't particularly enjoy. It sounds like um, that like that really did feel like padding. And as you said, like finding a way to make some more engaging puzzle mechanics to interrupt, for lack of a better word, the story that they're trying to tell might just be like what pushes this over the line from being a really good game with some short or really great game with some shortcomings to just an overall great
1: game. Sorry, you got a 9.5 instead of a 10. <laughs> Sorry, you 20 people that put this together on your own. It wasn't quite a 10 out of 10. Yeah, and I would never, no, I would I, never
0: poo-poo it for that. Like, obviously, this, oh, this game no. is like a huge accomplishment for the team.
1: I love this game, and anybody who would ask me, and maybe some people who won't, I think you should play this game. Yeah, I, I <laughs> you know, I I maybe may a little cooler on it than you. I think
0: if you know what you're getting into going in, And know that it's going to be engaging and worthwhile, but not necessarily fun every minute from moment to moment. Then you should play this game.
1: Well, okay, so this had feelings of Resident Evil at times. I'm assuming that was one of the things that you were going to say it was like, right? Mm, Not really, because I I think Resident Evil is more, like,
0: mechanically interesting to me. Like, I enjoy playing Resident Evil moment to moment. Like, navigating the spaces that they put you in and solving the puzzles and, you know, getting around the zombies and things like that. Like, that still feels good to me. Um, There's a lot of this game where... I was strictly in it to see how how the story played out and and where all this was going and what message it was trying to say about this protagonist. And everything around that... especially the puzzles was just like, all right, I need to get through this so I can get that next piece of goodness.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. And that's kind of how I feel about horror games. Like I don't love horror games, but there are several horror games that I do very much love. And it's sometimes it's not the moment to moment that I enjoy. In fact, I'm like, why am I fucking playing this? I hate this. I hate the way that this makes me feel, but I still want to get to this next part and see how it turns out. And that's how I sometimes felt about this game. But it was the payoff was always worth it. So
0: yeah, no, I, i'm I'm with you, and I think that's really like what it comes down to. like the the story was worth engaging with, the message it was trying to to give you about you know what it's trying to say about mental illness and living with that and and how we treat people with mental illness and how that affects them. Like all of that is absolutely worth getting through some of the friction that they put between you and the story, <laughs> Me, namely the puzzles. I didn't mind the combat. I thought the combat was great. For what it's worth, this game has one of the best counters, best feeling counters in a game. It feels so good to parry enemies in this oh, game. Oh, yeah, when you
1: block and hit them again. Yeah. Actually, I would say that, that most of the combat is centered around the counter. Like, she's she is physically smaller than than any of the, the things coming after her, and they all seem imposing. So it's all about timing and counters and dodging. That's about the big the big point. Because she went head-to-head. You're going to die.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely one of those um, situations where you are uh, a smaller, maybe unsuspecting character who's overpowering much larger foes. And it, you know, all of the enemies you're facing are, you know, Northmen, right? They're Vikings. They're gigantic, like, monster beasts of men. <laughs> and you're just uh, yeah. a rather skinny lady. And, you know, you're kicking their asses, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they hated that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, um, let's gather our thoughts for a three-word review. My three-word review is not fun, engaging. Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice certainly made a big statement about the struggles of living with mental health issues like psychosis, trauma, self-doubt, and all the internal struggles that cause us to create our own personal hells. While the production values were excellent, especially the sound design, the game sometimes felt like it was bouncing the player between its extremely modal combat, puzzle, and story sections in a bit too rapid a fashion. For a game that's about a protagonist suffering from psychosis, it sometimes feels a little bit schizophrenic. Regardless of how I felt about how it played, I think the time, talent, and treasure of the team uh, that they put into helping those that suffer from mental illness here is admirable. Uh, I know that they did a great deal of charity work to go along with this game as well, that and the message uh, that this game tells is far more important to me than whether the game is fun or not. I'd argue that for the most part, this game is not fun, but it is engaging. And the message it's trying to send and the experience it's attempting to highlight with its experience is worth
1: engaging with regardless. My three word review is Am I crazy? <laughs> Hellblade is a game that I truly didn't know much about what to expect until I was right in the thick of it. And in fact, I largely ignored this game when it was released five years ago, which after diving in and seeing more makes me wonder, was I crazy to wait this long to give it a shot? And I think I was. Um, While there were some elements that didn't quite land as well as I would have hoped, I've played very few games that build an environment and a feeling better than this. Uh, The sound design, like we said, totally off the charts. If you don't have surround sound, play it with headphones. The masterful use of audio in this game took it to a whole new level, and one that I feel is pretty much unparalleled in any other game that's out right now, which is great, because this game came out half a decade ago, so it still stands on its own. Um, That complete lack of a HUD was a brave move that really balances immersion with player frustration, and while I think that balance wasn't perfectly struck here, the payoff in a clean world that you can really fall into was really welcome. I hope more game developers start to take this approach. I know we've seen it with uh, Sea of Thieves and Ghost of Tsushima more recently. I'm just excited to see if they're able to balance things better in their upcoming sequel. Um, that's, uh, the storytelling was superb, the combat was intense, and even if it started to get a bit repetitious by the end, it was still good overall. Uh, Senua's world building uh, was a masterpiece, and it was excellent with a unique story and i truly feel like i was living in the mind of a tortured soul never knowing if she was truly seeing uh real things or if it was all just in her mind as she slipped into madness so any flaws the game had could e- easily be overlooked and i think its notable strengths uh make it worth the worth the squeeze so if you have game pass mm. no brainer mm-hmm. give it a shot and with
0: that thanks for listening and if you enjoyed this podcast then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha, And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on gaming. Mention this in my three word, but um, I, I want to talk about the the charity that they, they did and sort of them putting their money where their mouth is with, you know, giving a crap about um, mental illness and, you know, its portrayal in society and, and how that all works. And um, I was looking it up, and this game actually. Uh, back in October of 2017, to celebrate World Mental Health Day, they know, donated all of the profit they made from the sales of Hellblade on that day to Rethink Mental Illness, which is a charity that helps raise awareness for, for mental illness. Um, so they're you know they're actually doing the work too. Like they're not just trying to tell a story here. They're trying to use the game and its platform as as a way to like make things better for people that suffer from mental illness.
1: Yeah, and I think we kind of sussed this out while we were talking about it too, but the, I guess the, the message of the story here isn't you can get better. It's you can you can be better so long as you accept yourself and allow other, peoples to help, other people to help you. Like, you have to accept you for you before you can ever get help from other people, and that's, I think, the core of it. I, I agree
0: with that, but I also think that it's a message to those of us that are playing this game as maybe people who know folks suffering from mental illness, but don't necessarily suffer from it ourselves. And the message is don't stigmatize people with mental illness and don't stigmatize mental illness and um, be there
1: to, and be there to help because they need you. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. And that, that's the most important message that this game was telling to me. Like, you know, the reason things got so bad for Sinu is because the people close to her, her support system abandoned her. Um, and if you don't abandon people who are suffering like that, then maybe things won't get as bad. Right.
1: Yeah. Overall, I'd say as uh, hellacious as the entire thing was, it <laughs> still did have a pretty positive message.
0: It did. It told a good it told an important story and had an important message. And, you know, sometimes, um, you know, it, it, movies aren't good for uh, solely because they're fun to watch. Right. They're good because they elicit an emotion and, and teach you something about like life and how things are and how you should be. And if it makes you change your outlook, like you know that's the cherry on top i guess
1: that's what they call art brian and this is uh proof (laughs) that video games are art now so (laughs) yes we've done with it yeah (laughs) we've we've proved it once and for all